The book of Acts is a wonderfully encouraging book. I'm heartened that it's encouraging you from your feedback as well as me as I preach. Encouraging because it gives us certainty about one thing, and that is the unstoppable mission plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. Key verse of Acts 1 and 8, you will receive power, kind of power, when the Holy Spirit, that kind of power comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. The mission plan of the Lord Jesus is unstoppable and powerful, And it gives us confidence as a church. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see that promise fulfilled as the gospel goes out in ever-widening circles from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, so on and so forth, right to Rome, the heart of the ancient world. And fundamental, central, or without it, it couldn't happen to the fulfilling of that plan is the sending of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, the mission plan of the Lord Jesus would grind to a halt. And Acts chapter 2, where we are at the moment, is all about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This morning, let's read just that little short section, verse 41 to 47. I'm going to read 41 and then through to 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, that is the 3,000 souls, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, if you can keep uh, your finger there in Acts chapter 2 and have the notes on the service sheet uh, as a guide, that'll help us. I want us to stand back for the first kind of 10 minutes or so of uh, the talk and just try to get our heads around the big sweep of Luke's narrative. These astonishing events that happened. This is not normal stuff. These were astonishing, unusual, striking events. And I want us to do that in order that we might get another great big shot in our hearts of encouragement and confidence. God shows us in the first few days of the church just how powerful he is and how certain the unstoppability, if that's a word, it's not a word, but it's a good word, the unstoppability of the mission plan of the Lord Jesus really is. And we need always to come back to these factual, and this is factual history, remember, eyewitness testimony, to come back to these early days for encouragement in harder days, like the days in which we live. 
verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, accompanied by miraculous signs. A sound like a mighty rushing wind. It had to be loud enough for about 10,000 people in the middle of Jerusalem to hear it, so they came to see what was going on. And these tongues of fire, signs of the presence and power of God. And then that astonishing miracle, as Peter and John, Thomas, and the other disciples began to speak in languages that five minutes before they couldn't speak. They began to speak in the languages of the Parthians and the Medes and the folks from Syria and Crete and Arabia. In fact, many, many languages in the ancient world and this big collection of Jews gathered from all over the world heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind and they gathered around and they heard the the acts of God declared in their own language. Just imagine this kind of event, supernatural power, a crowd of around 10,000 people. And uh, it's a wonderful encouragement about the unstoppable nature of the mission plan of the Lord Jesus. So on day one, remember the plan that the gospel will go out to every nation of the earth? On day one, every nation of the earth came to Jerusalem. And that's a kind of promise to us, a seal from the Lord Jesus, that his plan will go forward. It's like the whole of salvation history on that one day as every nation of the world heard the gospel in their own language. The Holy Spirit came and Peter spoke. As we saw last week, the Holy Spirit and speaking are like a horse and a carriage. They are inseparable. The mission plan of the Lord Jesus is that the gospel will go out from Jerusalem to the very ends of the earth, empowered by human witnesses. People simply telling the gospel. That's God's way. And again, try to grasp the astonishing event that Luke describes. They are not normal days. Peter stands up and he speaks to probably, given that 3,000 people were converted, not all were, so let's take a rough estimate, a third, 10,000 people he spoke to. Imagine the scene. And uh, just think of the logic of this. Peter is about to stand up and say to that group of 10,000 Jews, you killed that man, and that man is Lord and Christ. What was probable is that Peter himself would be silenced at best. And yet he had the power of the Holy Spirit. And that crowd of 10,000 people fell silent. As Peter said, things like, let all the house of Israel know that this man God has declared both Lord and Christ, the one you crucified. The crowd was silent, and that is until all over that vast crowd of 10,000 people, people began to say to Peter and the other apostles, what must we do? We need to do something. We need to sort out our lives. And you can imagine these 3,000 people Say, what should we do? And the apostle said, you need to be baptized. Imagine the noise. Imagine how exhausting it must have been for the apostles. 3,000 of them 
And yet, the Holy Spirit led these people to become Christians. The Holy Spirit comes, Peter speaks, and people become Christians. They were cut to the heart. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus. What caused that response from the crowd? What was it that cut them to the heart and convinced them they needed to do something? 3,000 of them on day one of the church. Was it Peter's slick rhetoric? Everything was against God. Everything was against his apostle. It was the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. 3,000 people. Why is it here in Acts? Not because this is normal to encourage us. The certainty of the mission plan of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes, Peter speaks, people become Christians, and then verses 42 to 47, a Christian community forms. See the spontaneity of this? The Holy Spirit comes, Peter gets on his feet, he proclaims the gospel, people are converted, and the people who are converted suddenly get together and form a Christian community. And that has been happening ever since. Notice, the community language, verse 42, and they, that is all of them. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. Verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together. Striking, the Holy Spirit comes, Peter speaks, people become Christians, a Christian community forms. God does not build individual Christians, but a community of believers. And what characterized that first or early Christian community? Well, devotion. Not half-heartedness or lukewarmness, but devotion. Single-minded, zealous, committed devotion. Devotion to what? One, to the apostles' teaching. They couldn't get enough of Peter's preaching or John or the others. Second, devotion to the fellowship to the breaking of bread. That's what Luke records. And in its broadest scope, devotion to the fellowship to the breaking of bread means simply devotion to one another. And it was a practical commitment. Verse 44, all who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's very striking that my Bible commentator uh, says this is not Marxism. And it's not. It's just converted people sharing what they have. It's not a mandate forevermore for people to sell everything you have and put it in a pot. It's just the generosity born of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Practical, selfless, sacrificial commitment to one another. To break bread simply means to eat together. It doesn't mean the Lord's Supper. That usage came much, much later. Breaking bread here simply means eating. We see that in verse 46. I think day by day, attending the temple courts, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food. Devotion. Also the prayer. An integral part of the community life from the start. And there was in that community a sense of thanksgiving and joy and praise. The end of verse 46, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They're a great set of words, aren't they? Gladness, generosity, 
praise, favor. The Christian community had a positive impact within the wider community. There were special times. Special times. In verse 43, awe came upon every soul. No wonder. No wonder at the sound of that mighty rushing wind. No wonder at the sound of 25 languages being spoken outside the temple by these apostles who couldn't speak these languages. No wonder awe came upon every soul. No wonder awe came upon every soul when 3,000 people cried to the Lord for salvation on day one. And no wonder awe came upon every soul when these 3,000 people turned their lives on their heads and sought the apostles preaching day by day, prayed earnestly, shared what they had with those who had little and enjoyed favor with people in Jerusalem. And no wonder all came upon their souls, as we'll see next week, when the apostles, to validate their credentials, performed astonishing miracles like the Lord Jesus. And no wonder all came upon all their souls, because the second half of verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, that is the big sweep of Luke's narrative. You'll see the logic. The Holy Spirit comes, Peter speaks, people become Christians, a Christian community forms. Astonishing things going on in the early days of the church. And why is Luke recording these facts for us? That we might be certain of the unstoppability of the mission plan of the Lord Jesus. Certain in days of much spiritual fruitfulness, but just as certain in days when things are tougher. Now, much of what is described in these early chapters of Acts is special and unusual. It is not normal Christian experience, and uh, we need to be careful of drawing a straight line and saying that our experience is exactly like the apostles, because it's not. And uh, I don't need to to kind of qualify that. It's just not our experience. This is the very, very start of the church. And thereby, we need to be careful in our applications. We can't draw straight lines. We need to draw dotted lines. But that said, and it's important that we acknowledge that, there are patterns or principles that we can apply to our situation. So, for example, when we become Christians, we receive the same Holy Spirit they did. I I think sometimes as as Christians, we think that we don't. We do. It's the same Holy Spirit that Peter got, just as powerful, just the same Holy Spirit. It's not different. can't be any less because the Holy Spirit is God himself. It's not that God himself gives a different God to Peter, a different God to us. You can't. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's a person. God indwelling us. We have fullness of the Spirit at conversion. We have everything we need for life, for godliness, for boldness in gospel witness. You have everything, if you're a Christian, in your life, because God is in your life, to make you a bold evangelist. So why is it that we struggle to be bold in telling the gospel? 
Because we have them all in us. Why is it that we struggle to find the boldness to tell the gospel? Afraid of what the response might be. Afraid of our lack of clarity. Our lack of the gift of the gab. When we tell it, we get all cluttered. These are good questions. Why is it hard if we have the Holy Spirit? Do we lack boldness? What's holding us back if we have power of this supernatural order available to us? And the answer, I think, is, is, is simple. The answer is, is simply that we have not yielded to the power of God in us. You can discuss that over lunch. Is it as simple as that? We do not believe that we have it. Remember the purpose of Luke and Acts, that we might have certainty. When you become a Christian, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, power for gospel witness. So ask God, who lives in you by his Spirit, to give you boldness. Here's a little story to illustrate that. I've told you this before. All good stories do well by telling at least ten times. I was in London. I was with an Australian, a guy called David Cook a gifted Bible teacher, but, a, but, but I, I sort of saw him on the platforms of conferences, but then I saw him just one-on-one in a coffee shop. And it, we went to Borough Market, which is a lovely place to go in London if you're ever there next to London Bridge. Lots of lovely coffee shops. And he said, brother, which coffee shop are we going into? I said, I, well, I said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you need to find one where there's a big table. I said, why? So we can talk to people, he said. I went, oh no. (laughs) And we went into the coffee shop. And he said, Holy Spirit, show us which table to sit at. And it wasn't some kind of magic thunderbolt. We just went to the table where there were lots of people. We sat down. And he he took my, my arm, and he's a big Australian kind of bloke. And he said to me, Holy Spirit, give us confidence and boldness to ask people something that lights a spark in them in relation to God. And he did it. He just did it. And he said, are you here? Are you a visitor? I'm from Australia. Do you know I'm a Christian? Do you have faith? And I kind of put my head down like this. (laughs) And yet every time he did it, every single time he did it, there was some fruitfulness from that conversation. And sometimes that fruitfulness was, I don't want to talk to you. Or it was just a kind of gentle British way of easing away to another table. But of course, what's the future fruitfulness of that conversation? And he said to me, brother, he said, why do you not do that? And I think the answer is staring us in the face. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, give me the courage to speak. We have many opportunities ahead of us to do just that. At a pivotal time in the life of our church family, when we are decluttered and not bound by all the things that shackle us. As we depend on God to give us a building, and we have no doubt that he will, Surely we could depend on the same God to give us enablement by the Holy Spirit to tell people they are Christians. If 
the statistics are true, and something like 1% to 2% of people in this country hear the gospel in a living church every Sunday. 98% of people are heading to a lost eternity. Surely, in our three score years and ten, or a little bit more, a little bit less, surely, 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 we should tell them, otherwise we should shut up shop. God has given us everything we need to do it. What can we make of this description of the community of believers? Is it a prototype church? Well, no. It's the kind of first rendering of community life. It's not just like us, but we can draw some dotted lines. Surely we can. Devotion. There's a good word. It's an old word. One Bible commentator suggests the word is the sense of being in the Greek attached to something like glue, stickability. No casual commitment or lip service. Rather, an unswerving commitment. But notice that it's an unswerving commitment of certain things. The devotion is focused. Let me just ask the question, the obvious question. Are we devoted? Are we sticking to these things like glue? What an opportunity. Our circumstances give us to stick to them like glue. What helps you to be devoted. Let's not lapse into a kind of worldly mindset here. What helps you to be devoted is the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. Devoted to one, the apostles' teaching. For these early Christians, they had the apostles live. Lucky them. I think it'd be quite hard, though, to listen to the live preaching of the apostles. You couldn't kind of squirm, or there's no room for maneuver. Why I think the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter wouldn't get the job of minister in most churches. How fortunate they were, though, to listen to these people live. You couldn't get enough of it. What does it mean for us as a church to be devoted to the apostolic teaching? You know, when you say the Apostles' Creed, we confess that we are part of the one true Catholic and apostolic church. That means that we're part of the church universal, and that's an apostolic church. It means that we live under the authority of the apostolic teaching. And that apostolic teaching is in the New Testament. And because they affirm the Old Testament, the apostles, our submission is to the whole written word of God in its entirety. So what does it mean to be a church devoted to the apostles' teaching? It means to be a Bible church. That's it. What does it mean to be a Bible church? Well, it means that the Bible is proclaimed week by week in our church services. It means that the Bible is central in the driving seat, as it were. It means a church where the decisions of the church are determined by what the Bible says. It means a church where teaching the Bible is at the heart of our meetings, whether we're together in our small groups or one-on-ones. It's a church that sticks like glue to the Bible in good times and in harder times. And uh, don't see a word like devotion as some kind of stoical struggle. It's about confidence. If you're into bird watching, some of you will be. Birds have habitats where they thrive. Christians have habitats where they thrive. And that habitat is the Word of God. Safe. 
devotion, secondly, to one another. What can we apply to our circumstances? When Luke speaks about a devotion to the fellowship, he speaks about our commitment to one another. We can well understand devotion to God, love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is not difficult to love, but what about each other? That's a little harder. Devotion to one another. You hear people speaking about a welcoming church, a caring church, or a strong fellowship. Here's a a kind of comment from you as your minister. For the first time in my six years nearly as minister here, over the summer, people came along to our church family and they said, nobody spoke to me. First time that ever happened. It's changed again, thankfully. I just think we became a little introverted, perhaps understandably. A caring church, a welcoming church, a strong fellowship. What does it mean? It means an attitude of humility. It means that servant-heartedness. And uh, I do love the hymn when it says, let me be your servant, but help me to let you be my servant too. It's that double edge. And practically, it means sharing our resources, verses 44 and 45. All who believe were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. I don't need to tell you this is not advocating Marxism. I don't need to tell you that you've got to go and sell your house because, after all, a couple of verses later, they were still meeting in their homes. What I need to say to you is those who have much should be generous. Those who have little should be generous. All should give sacrificially. We are about, we are about to buy a building. We've got to make our budget lines. Give as much as you can. And give with the people around you in mind for them, for their growth, for these children. That's not manipulative, emotional, corporate rhetoric. That is biblical, simple logic, generosity. Isn't it wonderful if a church family is like that, that people who have little receive what they do not have from those who have much? And there are some things there that I think as evangelical churches we kind of think is a bit dodgy and not kind of the gospel. It is the gospel. Breaking of bread is not eating communion. It's not the Lord's Supper. It means welcome lunches, Tuesdays, Thursdays, house group meals, senior lunch. We've struck up a wonderful deal with a local takeaway in Causeway Side. They're wonderful. They provide food for Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sundays. As Christians still do in our office hub what these first Christians did on day one in Jerusalem. They eat together. Let me encourage you to open your home up and don't feel you need to put on a three-course master chef meal. We have an aga in our house now. It means I'll never cook again. I'm learning to do simple things like not put your hand in the oven and take the pot out because it's boiling hot. Simple meals, simple meals, bread and soup, 
buy something from a supermarket, stick it in the oven, invite somebody to come and share it with you, invite somebody you know, it's somebody you don't know, somebody older, somebody younger. Do it not because it's a kind of mechanistic thing that you do, do it because it's a, a natural, spontaneous response to what it means to be a Christian. And you do. Many of you do that wonderfully well. Devotion to prayer. Here's when we all feel a bit guilty. Some of us find it easy to go to prayer meetings in the church, but our prayer lives on our own, Monday to Friday, aren't very good. Some of us are great at the Monday to Friday stuff, but we don't go to church prayer meetings because we're scared. Let me rephrase the question. They devoted themselves to saying to God in a time of transition when they were on the road, God, we need to depend on you because we have nothing. Or, God, you promised in your word that you would send your Holy Spirit to empower our gospel witness, but we really struggle to do that. Please, will you help us? God loves to hear you ask that. And he loves it if as a church we gather together and say, God, we've got these mission plans as a church. Please, will you empower us? Or they devoted themselves to asking God to help them, lead them, guide them, provide for them in times of need. They devoted themselves to praying for the sick, to praying for their mission partners. You know, when you see a video like last Sunday, those of you here from these people in in China, and they say, we really depend on your prayers. I get to Skype them. Those in our mission group get to Skype them two days later, and you see them face to face, and you see the reality of their lives. And they say, and they tell you what's really going on, and they say, we really, really, really every day depend on your prayers. You know that's true. Devotion. Absolute commitment, unswerving duty. But what potential it unlocks. When I became minister here, one of the elders coined a phrase, Lord, make us a praying church. Make us a praying people. We are. Let's come together and pray monthly on Tuesdays if we are at all able Now, as we come to a close, striking that in most areas of life, we're on the gladness, generosity, and praise bit. It's striking that in most areas of life, whether work or sport or leisure, half-heartedness is ultimately unrewarding or unfulfilling. You know, you can hear this devotion language and you could think, well, it's awfully keen. But actually, I think in life, half-heartedness, lukewarmness, or lacklusterness when it comes to anything is really quite unrewarding and unfulfilling. So sport, for example. Yesterday I was up at Loch Tay with the Cord people. And uh, it's funny when you're kind of that age, don't tell them I told you this, but they get into sort of sport in the afternoon, it all becomes really competitive. And I was telling them when I was at university, I was in the triathlon team. We used to go up to Loch Tay and we used to swim in Loch Tay. And cycle around it and then run around it. And uh, it was really hard, but, but it, was, it was kind of hard, but fun, the kind of determination and the zeal and the, the zealousness and the kind of commitment, it kind of spurs you on. So it is in the Christian life. Day by day, attending the temple courts, verse 46, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, pleasing God, generosity, gladness, praise. What an attractive place to belong. 
And something we need always to remember as Christians, as a church family, is to be thankful, thankful to the Lord for the many, many blessings we have and enjoy. Thankful to the Lord for one another. Here's the default of the Christian. This isn't working quite right. Something's gone wrong. I'm the worst. Kind of misery guts mentality. Here's a default of a converted heart, how it should be. Be realistic about life's struggles. That's why earlier we prayed that life is not wonderful. Life is not wonderful when you're lying in the Western General sick and uncertain about your life. It's not. But in a Christian community, there is gladness and there is joy and there is praise, and there is thanksgiving. There are innumerable blessings to be had by having fellowship with other believers. And notice verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, we'll see plenty of opposition in the book of Acts. Starts in a week and a half. Plenty of opposition. But let's not ever give up the desire in our hearts to have favor in the community where God places. Striking in the environment we are around Causeway Side. We're getting to know the people in the shops. People are living there. And it's striking how warm they are to us. Have favor with all the people. And of course, the number one blessing by far that a Christian community, a local church, wants to bring to the wider community is that they find forgiveness and new life in Jesus. The second half of verse 47, the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. It's striking that the bookends or the brackets that wrap around Luke's description of this Christian community, verses 41 and 47, are about growth through people becoming Christians. So that's where we finish. Here we are on this little cusp as a church, little edge, Seesaw, which way will it go? Will we really, really, really believe what the Lord Jesus says and, and ask the Holy Spirit to give us power for gospel witness? Will we really, really commit to evangelism? Will we really believe that people will be added to our number day by day, those who are being saved? Maybe small numbers? And the Lord Jesus says to us, come on. Believe my promise. Ask me for the Holy Spirit enable you to do what you've never done before. Let's do that. Our Father, we simply want to do that now and ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to be gospel witnesses, men and women who have the boldness to go and tell, men and women who have the boldness to invite people along to things, because, Lord, we see their great spiritual need and peril. And Lord, we pray too that we would be a, a living church, a little bit like what is described here in these early chapters of Acts. A Bible church, a church which is really committed to caring for one another, practically. A praying church, and a church full of gladness, generosity, praise, well thought of by those in a community. Yes, there's tough opposition, but for many, well thought of in a church that grows 
by people becoming Christians. Lord, make us just that kind of church we ask. And grant us, grant us that sense of humility and submission to what is within us as the Holy Spirit. And if we're not yet Christians, well, that invitation is there every, every time we hear the word preached to come on board with the mission plan of the Lord Jesus. Like members of that crowd that day, what must we do? You must repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.